Welcome to Insight Aviation, helping you to take a look inside the world of captains, aerospace professionals, air traffic controllers, and much more. Learn how they got started, where they are now, and their advice for aspiring aviators. This series is brought to you by Wayman Aviation Academy. Learn to fly with a safe, reliable, professional academy. Located between Miami and Fort Lauderdale in sunny South Florida, USA. Enjoy the training and cosmopolitan life with Wayman's 42 aircraft, six airline partners, and two bases to help you be the captain. Hello and welcome to Insight Aviation Podcast. We're going to be recording a live uh, interview today with uh, Mario Culpepper. We're going to play a, a brief promo video here from our sponsor for one minute while we connect to Facebook Live, and then we'll start with our presentation. Be the captain. Be the captain. Be the captain. Welcome to Wayman Aviation Academy. The thing that sets Wayman apart from other flight schools here, basically the location, fleet size, being able to provide high quality training. They have the resources, they have the fleet, they had everything I was looking for to start my career as a pilot. Wayman is a very airline-oriented operation. The Academy offers complete ab initio flight training programs and courses. Get to know each student because each student is different. Wayman Aviation Academy operates a large fleet of more than 40 airplanes and full motion flight simulators. Here, maintenance is priority number one, and we take pride in what we do. Realizing your dreams at Wayman is within reach. I choose Wayman. I choose Wayman. I choose Wayman. Wayman Aviation Academy, developing the skills and attitudes for safe, successful, and professional pilots around the world. Changing lives through aviation. Hello and welcome to this recording of Insight Aviation brought to you by Wayman Aviation Academy. We've got a special one for you today. It's a hot market for flight instructors for starting your career in the aviation world. So as I was looking for guests for this episode of the podcast, I looked right across the parking lot to our assistant chief pilot, Mario Culpepper, who is the flight instructor hiring manager for Wayman Aviation Academy here. We've got about 40 instructors in the building. And uh, Mario and I have had the opportunity to do about two, three rounds of flight instructor hiring together. So I thought we would kind of open up a process, kind of give everyone some insight into what it's like, and kind of find out what it's like to become and get hired as a flight instructor. What are we looking for? Do's and don'ts. What do you need to do to put your best foot forward when you're applying to become a flight instructor? So first, I'd like to introduce everyone to Captain Mario Culpepper. Mario, why don't you give us a, a brief background about yourself? Sure. Thank you, Eddie. Good afternoon. Uh, it's a pleasure actually uh, being on this webinar um, today. Uh, so I'm pretty much going to start off, guys, um, a brief introduction of myself. Um, I'm kind of like one of the backbone of Waymans, I would say, <laughs> probably even longer than you, Eddie. Um, I've started in since 2013. I think we pretty much started around the same time. Um, you know, I met you there, but um, I'm I'm there since 2013. Um, I started out like just any other um, student pilot, you know, student level. Um, worked my way up through instrument, uh, commercial single, commercial uh, multi-engine. Then I pretty much got all my um, instructor ratings, which will be my initial, my um, instrument instructor, followed by my MEI. Um, and here I am as the uh, assistant chief of um, one of the best academy right now in South Florida. Um, yeah. What can I say pretty much uh, over my years at Wayman's, um, you know, being in Opelika, where it was a very, you know, sm small um, establishment compared to what we have now. Um, I found myself pretty much aligning, I would say, with one of the best instructors, I would say, which I would actually call my mentor today. 
And um, based off of the experience I uh, pretty much got with him, I think is what actually had me in this position today. So, um, you know, we'll cover more on that um, today where, you know, um, your instructor is more like a mentor um, to where you're pretty much going to be going. That's a right. great one. I didn't even have that one on my agenda. <laughs> we're definitely going to have to talk about mentorship. Now, sure. really quick, we're going to circle back to you and how you got here because I think people always like to know how you got here. But you're from the islands originally, right? No, I'm in, from uh, South America. That's right. right. Uh, is it Guyana? Correct. There you go. Excellent. Oh, we've had so many great Guyanese uh, uh, students and instructors here. Um, so we'll circle back to that. So sure. I thought a logical place to start is basic requirements, right? Okay. Clearly, you need your CFI rating to be a flight instructor, right? That's just sure. common sense. Let's start right there, right? I can't right. tell you how many resumes we get that they're like, I'm a commercial pilot. I'm like, okay, I can't really hire you because we're a right. flight school, right? So right. if you're a, a, you know, apply for the job that you qualify for, right? You know, if I had a Falcon 50 type rating, I'd be applying for Falcon 50 jobs, <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, if you're a commercial pilot and you haven't done your CFI yet, um, there's lots of other jobs. You could be flying sightseeing. You could be towing banners. You could, uh, you know, if you get your multi, you could be, you know, starting to do some cargo and things like that to the islands all the time. Uh, what are some other kind of entry-level jobs that are not flight instructor? Um, I mean, you have um, jobs out there like, um, I mean, you can work along with like, um, you have these guys that do like surveying, um, you know, the pipeline surveying, yeah. um, stuff like that. Um, you know, there's, um, I, there's actually, I think, a Facebook group called Low Time Pilot Jobs, right? Yeah. And people post and get Low Time Pilot Jobs on there, right? But I, I have to kind of preface this conversation with not everyone is meant to be a flight instructor, Exactly. That's true. That's, that's really true. Just got to put it out there, right? Not yeah. everyone's meant to be a flight instructor. It takes a certain level of passion, patience, um, people skills. You could be like a top gun, best pilot in the world, but you need some people skills to be in the cockpit with somebody for 40 hours, right? And not, right. not choke them to death. Yeah, I do have a couple, um, you know, things here that I would actually use um, today, um, you know, as our, our takeaway, like uh, I would say uh, the prerequisites <laughs> in order to be a flight instructor. I mean, and this is coming from years of experience where I've seen it work multiple times and um, I'll, I'll be glad to share that, you know, um, with the viewers out there. Sure. Is that uh, more like FAR requirements? You think? No, not really. Um, this is more um, like pretty much, I think you cover uh, a few of them um, just now. I would say the first thing you have to have a passion, mm -hmm. right? Um, if the passion is not there, um, you know, don't think about it. Um, you should be energetic. And uh, that's think one of our motto here at Wayman's that we like to see someone who is energetic as well as uh, motivated, right? Um, you have to constantly be motivated and, um, you know, surround yourself also with people that will motivate you because sometimes it can actually be, um, you know, you feel like, hey, this is not what I want to do, or maybe I made the wrong choice. But then if you have someone out there, like I mentioned earlier, um, a mentor, um, that, that will be really, really helpful. And also um, never chase after your hours or the money behind it right? Uh, everything will fall into place um, pretty much once you, you dedicate yourself to what you have to do. Um, if you keep, if you, you join as an instructor um, saying, hey, I'm just going to wait until I get my $1,500, which is most likely 
um, the common interest for most instructors sure. to do their time building um, pretty much and get their 1500 and, you know, um, pretty much head to the airlines. Mm-hmm. But um, if you chase after those hours, um, then, you know, your student pretty much will not get that effective um, training. Uh, you don't want to be on that side. <laughs> yeah. We're not looking for hour chasers. Exactly. I would say, I would say 70 to 80% of flight instructors, you know, are looking to build those 1,000, 1,500 hours of flight time. That's fine. It's industry. It's kind of built around this. We understand it's part of the business model that we are going to have these, either our own, that we've grown our own, or outside instructors that we're hiring in. And we're going to have them for about 1,000 hours, right? right? And then it's our responsibility to hand them over to our airline partners, which we're very happy to see them move on to heavier metal, right? Now, right. 80% of instructors uh, are doing their time. And they might be great instructors or whatever, but, you know, their end goal is to be in the airlines. There is that, like, 20% of instructors that love it, right? They are educators. They really enjoy seeing the success of somebody doing their first solo, passing a stage check, getting their stripes. Yeah, and those educators are wonderful. And those are the guys that are going to go to the airlines and on their, on their time off, they're going to continue teaching on the side. They're going to be teaching friends. They're going to be part of the EAA doing Young Eagles flights. And I love those because those are the ones that become our team leaders, our stage check pilots, and the ones that continue this nice relationship with the flight school long after they're flying heavy metal, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Now, we're lucky to have you. You found yourself to be a great educator. And uh, a few others that, that have been with the school, you know, Alex for 20 years, Franco right. has become a great educator in aviation with his niche in multi-engine. And right. you see it around the field. I think you had some experience with Captain Kirk. Not that Captain Kirk, Chris Kirk, here Chris at North Korea yeah. Airport, who, yeah. uh, who loves teaching tailwheel and spin endorsements. That's his thing. Like, he's right. great at it, right? So, you know, know where you are, you know? If you're doing it for hours, that's fine, right? But you still, no, but you shouldn't be robotic about it. Any job, you know, okay, great. Congratulations, you're now a professional pilot. You're getting paid to fly, right? That's right. amazing, right? But any job turns into a job after long enough. Ask the airline guys. You know, yeah. and I know plenty of pilots have been flying for 30, 40 years in the airlines, and they love it, but there's a point where it's a job, right? right. You clock in, you clock out. <laughs> yeah. And so you got to find what you love about it. Yeah. And, um, you know, to be honest, Eddie, um, you know, when I first started um, with Waymonds, and uh, I think it was uh, 2013, they're about, um, you know, my instructor, again, my mentor, um, actually, he's like, hey, why you don't try to the, um, go the CFI route? I was like, no, I don't think I'm a good teacher. I don't think, you know, I don't like teaching. Um, you know, it wasn't a thing that I, you know, I appreciate. But then um, at the end, when I did my uh, multi-engine um, check ride, um, the DP then confirmed it with me and said, you know what? I think you should become an instructor because the way uh, my instructor taught me was actually, um, I would say, in preparation to be an instructor because it was never a, a, a day where um, I'm not actually teaching him in the classroom. You know, I always have to go, uh, like the, the night he will give me like maybe uh, a homework to do and say, hey, I want you to go home and prepare for X, Y, Z for tomorrow and then come back and teach me and I'll guide you or help you in the areas that I see you're a little weakened. So that kind of like prepped me from the beginning, which I I, I wasn't seeing it. <laughs> and then eventually I did that on, on actually all of my check rights. I was actually like teaching the examiner, like if I'm doing an initial check right for a CFI. And the examiner actually did love that. And she was like, you know what? I think you have you have the skills to become an instructor. 
Yeah. And you can see it, you know, for the for our audience. And actually, let's take a moment right here. Our audience, whether you're in the Zoom or watching us on Facebook Live, put in the comments where you're from. Right? Let us know if you're here in South Florida, if you're watching us from Peru, if you're sitting in New Jersey uh, or in the frozen north in Canada or something. Let us know where you are because then that'll help us kind of direct our questions and answers in your direction. Uh, for those of you that are here uh, in the Zoom live, there's this Q&A button. So you can actually put questions in there and we can answer them either live or at the end we'll do a nice Q&A session. Right? So we're seeing people here locally, Phoenix, New Jersey. Excellent, excellent. I'm so glad you guys joined us today. Um, so coming back to it, we were talking about, okay, know who you are. So are you the kind of student that's hanging out at the flight school or at the FBO and tutoring? Are you doing study groups with your buddies, right? Are you the one that's trying to explain this kind of quirky concept of VORs to, uh, you know, a pre, a pre-private students? Those are some good indicators that you might have the knack, right? That teaching ability, which doesn't come naturally. I find that when it comes to becoming a CFI, most pilots don't have trouble with the FIA exam, the fun, uh, uh, Flight Instructor Airplane Exam, because it's basically a commercial exam. But a lot of them have trouble with FOI, the Fundamentals of Instructing, which is Correct. psychology. It's teaching psychology. Is that right? Correct. 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 Exactly. You spend a lot of time on that when you do our ground schools here in the school. Yeah, yes, I do, Eddie. And um, actually, it, the FOI, um, you know, I'll kind of like touch on that now. Um, most instructors, um, even including myself, when I first, um, you know, um, experienced the FOI um, training, um, I found it to be kind of like bored. And I was like, you know, well, you know, what are we doing with psychology and aviation? But actually, it's a great tool for instructors because every single day as we go there um, in the fields to instruct, we're using FOIs. It, it's guaranteed. Um, a lot of time, um, students will come not prepared. And, you know, the first uh, thing we learn in FOI is the Maslow Law, where, you know, it's set in the, 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 the preparation, the pyramid. Exactly. There you go. And, um, you know, every day, um, we pretty much have to go through that checklist. Um, sometimes you don't even realize that you're doing it. But when you, when you look back at it, you're like, you know what? I was just um, using something from the FOI that I learned. Um, or my student is actually putting up a defense mechanism in which I learned in the FOI. And this is how I will approach the situation based on what I learned in the FOI. So I would say that was learning the FOIs is one of the key uh, tools um, in terms of if you were to take the instructor route. It, it, it's mandatory. Um, don't think it's boring. You know, um, it, it's actually, I'm thinking of even um, going to get maybe a degree in, in psychology. Nice. Because yeah. um, I've seen it work. You know, um, I've worked with um, a lot of international students, you know, Asia, um, Europe. And uh, when there's um, cases where you have um, English is not their, 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 their native language, yeah. and as well, you have different cultures, this is where the FOI steps in, mm -hmm. right? Um, you you got to be able to groom with that student and kind of like fit in with them and make them feel comfortable. And I've, I've seen this work multiple times where students was almost on the verge of giving up to say, you know what, this is not for me. I'm going to go back home and try something different. And I've used pretty much psychology to get them to where they are. And, um, you know, one student was, was on the verge of being terminated here. And I got that student from his uh, private level to commercial with a zero uh, failure rate. And he was like on the verge of going back reason why I pretty much use the psychology 
and help to motivate him and build his self-esteem. <coughs> that that works every day, Eddie. Absolutely, absolutely. It's um it's interesting because you're right, there's so many tools in that FY, and a lot of people just take the shepherd air, pass the test, and move on, right? Yeah. But you're doing yourself a disservice. This is stuff that's not only good in the cockpit, but you can use it at home, use it with the girlfriend, the spouse, the dog. It works on everybody, right? All right. And exactly. uh, because it's basic fundamentals, right? Like the teaching plateau. We've all experienced a teaching plateau or a learning plateau, right? Where you get to this point and you're, 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 uh, landings don't really improve, right? Or you just can't get past that next hurdle, right? And so it's not really until you're on the other side of it, the flight instructor where somebody brings up teaching plateau, unless your mentor, your instructor said, hey, you've hit a plateau, right? And then you're like, yeah, I have, right? So you've got to switch your behavior, do something different, fly with somebody else, you know, break out of the pattern and go on a cross country to get out of these plateaus. That's just one example, right? Right. the other one that I speak with all the time is the wall, right? When you get when you don't click with your instructor. And keep in mind that you're spending what? 40, sometimes 60 hours or more with with your instructor in a tight space and not everybody gets along, right? Whether it's the the pheromones or maybe the communication abrasion and this wall starts building invisibly between you and the instructor, right? Right between you guys, between the two seats. Right. <laughs> and and if you're an instructor that understands their FY and can break through that wall, you're going to be much more successful. You're going to lose fewer students. You're going to have more completions. You're going to get to that gold seal. You're going to have a better paycheck too, right? Exactly. So, yeah. um, to, to touch on that, Eddie, um, and this is something, um, you know, if anyone out there is planning to um, come, uh, you know, join our, our family or our team, um, we pretty much go through, you know, very intense uh, uh, standardization um, training. And part of that standardization training um, I cover recently, um, we talk about the um, the cockpit gradient. Um, you know, that's very, very important. And that actually was, um, it played a part in one of the most, uh, the largest aviation accident they had in Tenerife with um, the Pan Am. Sure. Um, because, you know, the, the captain of that airline, you know, he was seen as a macho guy, nobody can speak to him, you know, even if something was going wrong. Um, that's what we don't want here. And of course, we don't want a level gradient. We want a little slope, right, but not too high, where um, the student is feeling like, uh, you know, afraid to speak out to the instructor, or, you know, you know, I'm the assistant chief here. But when I go fly with a student for a check, you know, I kind of make them relax and say, hey, don't worry, like, you know, it's just me. You know, I don't want them to be afraid to speak out or, or, or you because at the end of the day, if you have a steep cockpit gradient, then um, you would see, you wouldn't be able to have a, a true performance of that student. You yeah. know, they'll be afraid of you. And a, a more level gradient is safer, right? You're exactly. more able to speak out and say, hey, there's traffic over there. I don't know what I'm doing over here. Right? Correct. Well, let's bring it back because we're, we're, our conversation is rolling and I like it, right? But everyone here wants to know how to get hired, how to get hired as a CFI, right? Sure. So let's take a step back. I think probably the first step you should do is write up a resume, right? I've got a folder full of resumes over here. Let me pull it out. I got a folder full of resumes here because we're receiving resumes every day. Uh, I know you've gone through a whole lot of resumes. And yes. I'll kind of tell you the process. You know, I have developed this process over several years of hiring. You know, different schools do it different, but I'll let you know what works for me, uh, whether you're applying for us or whether you're applying to fly at one of the other wonderful flight schools around the country, around the world. Uh, let me tell you what it's like from the HR. So let me put on my HR hat. Put on my HR hat. Right? Go ahead, yeah. <laughs> and 
So this is what I'm looking for. First of all, write a resume, right? You would be surprised how many emails I get that are just saying, I'm looking for work. Okay, are you a pilot? You know, do you have a resume? How many hours do you have? All that kind of stuff. Find a template, Google a uh, pilot resume and fill it in, right? And here's another one. <laughs> fill in all the, the blanks, right? So I remember I got a resume not that long ago where like clearly it was a template and I'm okay with templates. All resumes look the same. But this one template actually said uh, education from blank to blank XXX, right? Like they just never filled in what years they went to school and it just said blank XXX. So yeah. we see that. And you know what I, when I see that, what do I think? This person's not detail oriented, right? If you're going to submit a resume, it's worth reading it. Give it to your roommate, give it to your buddy, give it to your mentor and be like, hey, can you look over my resume? I'm going to start applying for jobs, right? Um, what do you like to see on a resume? Um, well, there, there's a couple of things um, that I pretty much look for. Um, the first thing, um, of course, I look to see, of course, you, you've met the requirements. Um, we're looking um, here, we're pretty much, we don't want to see more than two failures, um, um, I would say, um, throughout your training. Um, and that's an airline thing too. The airlines don't want to see more than two failures. Right, exactly. So um, that's kind of like prepping you for the airline. So, um, you know, it's not something strange. Um, the airlines, they accept up to two failures. Um, same thing we're looking for here, um, as well as pretty much, um, you know, how many, like in terms of your training and your aeronautical knowledge, um, based on have you worked with, let's say, a 152, 172, you know, you have candidates where um, they might be just coming from the glass cockpit um, training, right, um, which can kind of be like kind of downside, because here we have a variety of fleets, we have 152s, um, which is all steam gauges, we have 172 as well, and model steam gauges. And also we do have G1000s as well. But I mean, if you want to be uh, all rounder, like switching between the fleets, you know, um, at least if you have some experience already coming with, let's say, steam gauges, it'll be a plus for you. I mean, we can still work with you, of course, but um, of course that will take some little extra training. So you kind of want to look into that as well as your, with your aeronautical knowledge experience. One thing that's very different on a pilot resume is that your numbers should be right at the top, right? Like you should have your name, Eddie Louie, commercial pilot, right? And then boom, your numbers, right? I am a commercial single, multi CFI, seaplane rated, total time is uh, 300 hours, total multi-engine time is X. Have those numbers right at the top. Don't bury them at the bottom. You're applying for a pilot job and those numbers are important, right? So put them at the top. Uh, really easy to get to uh, because ultimately the, the two things we're looking at is total time uh, and what your ratings are, right? So we have a CFII hiring minimum, right? At times we've hired just CFI, but we've kept the, the II uh, minimum for a while now. And people always ask me why I'm a CFI, right? Like, give me some work. <laughs> but <laughs> the fact of the matter is your II is, it is a little bit of a filter, Right? We want to know that you are kind of taking that extra step. And I can give you more work is basically what it comes down to. If I hire you with just a CFI, you can only fly with privates and commercials, which means you can only fly the first half of the day with privates. Right? Um, and so if I'm giving you a full-time job, I need you to be able to fly into the afternoon. And for anyone that's visited beautiful, sunny South Florida, it rains every afternoon for, let's see, from April to October. 
right? So you've got to be able to handle instrument students in the afternoon, do simulator sessions, fly into the evenings, right? So that's why we have the double I hiring requirements, right? Are there any other hard requirements that you look for? Um, not really. That's pretty much it. Um, um, something that will, will actually um, kind of like pull a red flag um, is, and I think, you know, even some airlines, they look at this to, um, you know, let's just say we get a resume and you see that the person have 1000 hours, you know, um, that's kind of like, uh, you know, we wouldn't have you that long. Maybe you'll just hang around for a couple of months and then you'll leave. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, that's kind of like something I I would look at as well too. That's a valid point. Right. So think about it from the airline point of view. If you are, uh, if we're hiring you, it's an investment. Our, our CFI standardization, week of ground, four to five flights, it's about a $3,000 investment in every flight instructor new hire, right? So we want to make sure that we can, you know, earn that back. And that usually takes at least 500 hours to kind of earn that back, right, as we're doing it, which is actually our, uh, our commitment. We ask instructors to be with us 500 hours, six months. Most of our instructors are with us a year to two years, right, while they build up those 1,000 to 1,500 hours. Now, think about it from the airlines. Before they put you in a simulator, an A350 type rating is $150,000, right? You better believe that they want to make sure that you're going to be with the company for a couple of years to make that back, right? They don't want to give you a type rating and then you're going to you know, leave in 200 hours. So why would you apply to a flight school with 1,000, 1,200 hours if we know that you're on the way out? At 1,200 hours, I'm talking to our instructor saying, hey, do you need a recommendation? Which one of our airline partners are you going to go with? Are you interviewing? Right? So why would I hire somebody that's on their way out? Right? Yeah. So, and, and next thing to top off on that, because um, it, it, it kind of has an a effect on that too, uh, more on when it comes to quality of training. Um, right now, we're in, in a little different era now with the whole pandemic. Um, we've experienced for the first time instructors here with 2,000 plus hours which is not the norm um, well, because it's an old norm that's come back around, <laughs> right? I used to love having 2000, 3000 hour instructors when I was younger, but you're right. The norm now is up 1500 hours and we hand them over. Right. To but what do you find with those guys with a, with a high time hours, um, the quality of instruction, especially uh, when it comes to like, let's say a private level student, um, a high time instructor, you know, he or she's already kind of pretty much burnt out and they wouldn't really want to deal with a private student. Even if they got a private student, um, that quality wouldn't be there as if they had 500 hours or that zeal, that passion. Energy. So, yeah. exactly. So, um, you know, it, sometimes, you know, having a high, a high time instructor, it can be, it has its pros and cons. It's true. Right? The yeah. other thing I'd say is, you know, and you're right, we were lucky that the, the one silver lining of the great pause is that we had instructors that, you know, rather than going onto the airlines, hung out with us for basically an extra year, right? And we're, you know, 2,000, 2,500 hours. Great experience. Um, and you know, some people were kind of like the private pilot whisperer. They could kind of figure out landings and some people really specialized in instrument and they got really good at what they were doing. Right. But you're right. The energy is not the same, uh, you know, to go fly around the pattern for eight hours when you're a 2000 hour pilot versus a 500 hour pilot. Correct. Now on the flip side, we always need senior, senior instructors to mentor the younger instructors. So we're always actively looking for instructors like Mario here, like Captain Billy, like, uh, uh, like Alfredo and Alex, right, who have countless hours, are that 10, 20, 10 20% educators, right, to mentor the instructors, to do stage checks and those kind of things, or team leaders is often we call them. And we do a thing, we try to do a thing, 
where our, our rookie pilots, our 250, 300-hour instructors, we try to give them commercial and instrument students. Again, that CFI is important. CFII is important, right? So that they get up to 500 hours, right? Because 500 hours is where most pilots will tell you, yeah, I was really comfortable with an airplane at about 500 hours, right? And then we give them privates. All right. right. So uh, let's go back to resumes. Right? Sure. Okay, so resume comes across your desk. Uh, hours at the top, we already covered that. Education. Tell me where you learned how to fly, right? It says private, it says instrument. Was it ATP? Was it uh, Joe's Flight School down the street, which is Part 61? Was it 141? That tells us quite a bit, right? Like if I see somebody that went through ATP's program, I see a self-starter. Somebody went through a Flyers program, okay, good. Somebody went through a collegiate program, it tells me probably that their ground and their theory is really good. Like maybe they can teach a ground school for us, right? Part 61 is good too. You know, in, in some contexts, it tells me that this person, you know, found their way because the Part 61 path is very winding, right? So for you to get, get all the way to CFI as a Part 61 tells me that you've got some gumption, right, to get there. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, of course, the collegiate programs. Uh, my brother's an Embry-Riddle graduate, so we hire just about every Embry-Riddle graduate that applies, <laughs> right? He bleeds blue and gold. Uh, and, you know, the quality is wonderful. Uh, UND, uh, you know, we've got some local college programs. We are a partner of Miami Dade College and Broward, not Broward, Miami Dade College and Florida Memorial and Liberty. So those are always higher on my priority list. And of course, we hire our own. If we trained you through the program, you know our syllabus, our software, the people. It's very straightforward standardization, right? So where you got your education, very important to me. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I don't know why people leave that blank. I don't know. Um, work experience, right? Work experience I like as well um, because right, right that you were a server. You know, you busted tape, you bust tables, and you you were a server. That tells me customer service, right? Construction worker. That tells me you don't mind getting dirty, getting in there, right? Uh, tell me what your other work experience was, even if it seems insignificant and not relevant. You know, it says something, uh, definitely, right? Um, and also hobbies. Do you like to see any like hobbies or, or extracurriculars or anything like that? Um, yes. I mean, um, I myself, you know, I have my own personal hobbies <laughs> out there. Um, you know, I think hobbies tells a lot as well. Um, outside from what we're the normal we're doing here, which is, you know, surrounded by airplanes and teaching and stuff. Um, you know, um, you, you should find some time where you can be able to, I would say, reset. Um, I usually do that on, on Saturdays and Sundays, you know, in my spare time. Um, so um, if I see someone, let's say, um, you know, some of our instructors, they go, they do surfing or they, they play tennis. I personally play tennis on the weekends. Um, so, you know, um, <laughs> exactly. so I'm, I'm keeping, you know, you, you want to keep fit at the same point in time. And it's also a good time to reset. So, um, you know, you don't want to, you know, somebody there and they say, um, hey, I don't do anything really. I just fly every day. Like, you know, it's not really good. I mean, I appreciate the focus, but yeah. uh, you're right. I like to see I, I like to see athletic people because that tells me a level of energy, you know, th that they might have and and, and tenacity. Uh, I love to see scouts, Eagle Scouts. Boom, you're hired, man. Uh, Life Scouts, whatever's on there. My boys are in the are in the Scout program. Uh, my brother was an Eagle Scout, and I just know that it's you're forming good citizens. So I, I like scouts. Um, I like just kind of seeing quirky stuff, like you're a writer, you're a video person, um, swimmers, all those kind of things. Uh, and of course, organizations, Civil Air Patrol, 
boom. I love it. Civil Air Patrol. I'm actually, I'm actually uh, well, I wouldn't want to say an active member, but I'm, I'm a member. I'm a part of the uh, Opelika Squadron. Nice. Um, I've given uh, my service there for almost four years. Um, voluntary service. Um, you know, um, of course, um, increasing on my teaching skills with the, the cadets, um, you know, and doing all the stuff outside of basic um, train, um, flight training, you know, search and rescue operation. So all those good stuff, um, you know, it, it helps. And um, of course, you know, if I see that on a resume, I'd be like, hey, this person is, is, is a good pick because I'm actually a part of it. Absolutely. And I know, you know, they pretty much... Um, give you a good structure there as well it's an auxiliary unit of the year force so yeah. i know hey this person is pretty much structure already so right. we don't have any problems and not to mention um the aviation associations obap organization for black aerospace professionals latino pods association the 99s women in aviation um there's a bunch of them right but being a member in any of those is wonderful. The network is excellent. The mentorship is excellent. But don't just pay your $20 due. Like, I would love to see you being like the committee head for fundraising, you know, the vice president of this, the chairperson of the 99's local this, right? Um, again, it just shows me that you're going above and beyond uh you know, just doing your hours and submitting it. Like you went to a couple of meetings. You like to be in the atmosphere. You like to go to hang out in people's hangars. Like you're living it. You're doing it, right? right. Yeah. See anything else you'd like to see on a resume? I'm trying to think. Um, I like to see weird ratings. I love to see a seaplane pilot. I love to see a tailwheel endorsement. I love to see uh, skydiving certificates, right? The seaplane and the tailwheel tell me that you're not just a pilot, you're an aviator, right? You really love it. You're soaking it up. You're doing aerobatic flights on weekends, right? You're doing Young Eagles flights for kids, right? Um, I love seeing those. And those are all things that distinguish you because I'll tell you right now, if you have a, a, a blank resume, CFI, double I, 250 hours and nothing else, okay, right? But you add on a couple of interesting things, give it some color, you know, fill in the picture. Let us know a little bit about you, right? The resume is important. Yeah. yeah I think I think we, we, we you you want to stand out out there because you know there like you said Eddie there there's uh maybe hundreds of resume out there but you want to be that person that stand out you know when you send that resume you just don't want it to be the norm yeah. with, with just basic certificates on it. All right, all right, so the next thing, I got a stack of resumes, I start filtering them. I literally, at this desk right here, right, I get the stack of resumes and I start separating, like, okay, this is an interesting resume, this one's a yes, this one's a maybe, this one's a no, right? Very few things are no. You know, a no might be like, you don't have your double I or, um, you know, something else notable, but most of them are maybes or yeses, right? And then I start calling, right? I do phone calls. Now, if you have your resume out there, I'm in the habit of not answering the phone if I don't recognize the number, right? But if you are job hunting, pick up the phone. <laughs> I end up leaving a lot of voicemails and then I follow up with a text message. But uh, no one picks up their phone anymore. That's true. Yeah. That's a bad thing. <laughs> Maybe we should just switch over to text messaging and just like if someone's interesting, it'd be like, hey, this is Eddie from Wayman Aviation. Saw your resume, call me. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, I'll take a moment to talk about being on the phone because a lot of people don't want to be on the phone anymore. You're comfortable texting. That's a Gen Z kind of thing. I'm a exennial, millennial, whatever kind of person. Uh, but a lot of people just don't want to be on the phone anymore. The phone rings like, oh no, who's calling me? Why are right. you calling me? 
<laughs> right? <laughs> but, um, you know, you got to be able to communicate. If, you know, our job, being flight instructors, is all about communication and knowledge transfer, right? So you've got to be able to speak. You've got to be able to have, hold a conversation. And uh, usually in that call, I'm just checking that your information is right, seeing if there's anything interesting, you know, giving us some expectations of what the job is going to be. And uh, do you like that? Yeah, I like that. Okay, let me invite you to an interview next week. That's kind of what that screening call is, right? Um, you've been saved from that, Mario, because you don't have to do screening calls. I do the screening calls. And then <laughs> when Mario and I sit down in the room, you know, these people have already gone through one layer of screening. Correct. Right. Um, anything else about resumes or screening that you can think of? I think that that's pretty much it. Um, you know, the basic stuff that we would look for, um, you know, yeah. might be a couple more little things, but nothing too important. But that those are like the main things we would pretty much look for initially. So if you're in the Zoom or watching us on Facebook, any resume questions, go ahead and put them in the chat in the Q&A. Like I said, we can answer them live. We can get back to them in a moment. Uh, getting them out there. Don't be shy about resumes, right? We have uh, careers at wayman.net. If you have a resume, you heard what I'm looking for, go ahead and email a resume because our next hiring window is like eh, in a month, something like that, right? Yeah. Um, but in general, you know, maybe you're applying for, you know, one of the great academies or a school or whatever it might be. Get your resumes out there. Get your resumes out there. We might not be hiring, but maybe they're hiring across the street, right? Or or they are over there, or they might be hiring in a different state. Personally, we don't do any relocation stuff. When things were really tight, 2019, I remember we actually were paying relocation. We were paying like 500 bucks, you know, get you a U-Haul and get you down here. Right? That's true. But I do find that we have a pretty poor success rate with people that relocate, right? Just because South Florida is an expensive place to live, right? Um, there's a crazy culture in South Florida, right? Like it's a Latin, Russian, Jewish, crazy kind of South Florida culture, right? Uh, and a lot of people don't like it. You know, they get down here and the job is okay, but they're like, eh, it's not for me, right? Especially with the rent they got to pay. Um, so we try not to do, so I, I mostly try to pull from pilots that live in the area. Now, that being said, let's say you live in uh, Iowa, right? Or somewhere where there's no jobs, right? Pick up and get yourself to to the training centers of the country. That's Texas, that's Florida, a uh, good amount of schools in California, right? And and shoot high, shoot for your dream job, right? Like if you've been following us on Instagram and Facebook and you're like, man, I really like what they're doing over there, send a resume, right? Uh, you never know, you might get picked up. Um, it's... It's, you know, I've applied for a good amount of jobs. I haven't gotten them all, right? Uh, but aim high or you're going to get what you ask for, right? Uh, so I've been lucky to get some really good jobs and uh, places that I never thought I would work. And, you know, there you are. <laughs> so aim high because this is the first professional job for most pilots, right? I always say that CFI is the first rating that pays for itself. So uh, it's congratulations, you're a commercial pilot. The network that you build between your school and then your first employer sets the pace for the rest of your career, right? So let's say you want to be a seaplane pilot, right? It would make sense to get a job at Jack Brown's up in Winter Haven or um, uh, with Tropic, Air. Air, Tropic Ocean. Yeah. 
where you're going to be around seaplanes, right? You might be a dispatcher, you might be washing them for a little while, right? But eventually you're going to become a seaplane pilot um, or, or vice versa. We have five airline partners, right? And so if you're airline oriented, it makes sense to go with somebody that has airline partners, right? Something you can kind of flow into. So do think a little bit forward to the application. Like, where is this going to take me? Because the, the colleagues you meet, the people that you work with, your students, your managers, aviation is a small world. And these become the beginnings of your network, right? So over 34 years, Wayman Aviation has thousands of pilots flying around the world. Uh, in the last 12 years that I have actively been managing here at the flight school, we've had great groups of pilots, many of whom have already gone through the regionals and have flown into American and United. We got a whole bunch of people at Spirit down the road. Spirit's based out of Fort Lauderdale, for those of you that don't know. JetBlue, got a ton of people at JetBlue, right? And the network. It's nice to see that Wayman network, right? Because we have the Wayman Pilots Lounge where a lot of our alumni kind of chat and they share where they are and photos of what they're flying, what equipment they're doing. Uh, and so do think about that. Yes, it's a job. And yes, you're super happy to have that job. But it is the beginning of your network, right? Whether you want to go corporate or you want to go airline um, or something else. So think about that as you're applying to jobs. Okay. We've made it through the screening, resume, screening, you've been invited for an interview. How do you show up for an interview? What do you want to see when somebody walks in the door? Um, well, for me, uh, Eddie, um, pretty much the first impression comes, so um, yes. which will be your attire, right? Um, You're looking very sharp. Exactly. I want to see you looking sharp. Um, you know, it's not always about wearing the uniform, but of course, wear something appropriate. Uh, you may not have the uniform. If you do, hey, it's a plus because that's pretty much what you're going to be wearing every day. Uh, you know, your students are looking up to you as well, um, the way you dress. Right. So um, that, that's pretty much the first thing I would love to say. Hey, how is this person? How is their attire? Like when they step into the room, did they stand out? Did they, you know, look professional? You know, so I'm looking at that. That's the first thing I'm looking at pretty much. Absolutely, absolutely. So last group of interviewees, we had 11 people interview after after screening. We had 11 people interview. We hired seven, right? Uh, so we, let's see, had one gentleman in a suit. I like the effort. He looked sharp. It was a nice suit. We had people just in like shirts with a, with a tie or no tie, nice little button up. Um, don't think we had anybody in t-shirts this time, but t-shirts not a good look if you're coming for a job interview. Um, at least a polo, you know, something. The uniform is best because, boom, you're a pilot. You're wearing a uniform. I get it, right? Exactly. <laughs> if you are uniform averse, you don't want to wear a uniform, you might be in the wrong field, right? Because the pilot uniform, the stripes, convey credibility, professionalism. Your nice clean shirt is, is very nice, right? So, uh, yeah, dress for success, right? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you might be a 200-hour, 250-hour uh, student, part 61 your whole life. $22, you have a pilot shirt. Walk into any pilot shop, order online, right? Or at least a button-up, right? Uh, okay, so you come in. Uh, now, at this point in the interview process, we know you've got the hours, you've got the ratings, you know how to fly. At least we assume you know how to fly because you've passed half a dozen check rides, right, to get here. Um so at this point, we're, now we're looking for somebody we can work with, you know, somebody you can hang out with, somebody you can have lunch with, um, you know, somebody you can entrust 
your students, your buddies, you know, your, your, your niece is going to come in for flight training. You want to know that you can trust John with your niece. All right. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody I can work with. Correct. Yeah. You know, we're here pretty much like a family, Eddie. And, uh, you know, we don't want somebody to be, you know, like pretty much um, to themselves. You know, um, we're, we're all open up. Feel free. You know, um, we want somebody that is approachable. Mm. Right. Uh, you know, that be able to speak out, you know, because um, at the end of the day, it's networking, like you said, and um, communication needs its key pretty much around here. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm going to steal this directly from Captain Yu. If you're looking at the podcast, scroll back a couple of episodes to Captain Stephen Yu. He was a recruiter for SkyWest and now he's at American Airlines. And he's fond of saying, like, look, if you're at an American Airlines interview, you make all the qualifications or you wouldn't be sitting there. Right now, I gotta know if I can spend a three-day trip with you. All <laughs> right, uh, so it's kind of the same thing. We're gonna be spending the next year, maybe two years together. I'm gonna be trusting you with a lot of students. You're gonna be spending a lot of time with them, right? So I want to get to know you. Uh, we have, uh, gosh, I wish I had. A, I probably have it tucked away over here, but I have a list of questions. You know, when we do our interviews together, I ask kind of broad HR questions, and Mario asks a little bit more technical CFI questions. Um, so I always like to open up, you know, after the resume review, okay, we look over your resume, if it looks good, maybe there's something interesting. Um, I always like to say, you know, how, you know, how did you get here, right? What, what's your origin story? How did you get into aviation, right? So think about it, have that origin story ready, you know, uh, your uncle was a pilot, you lived next to the airport, you had your favorite blue orange airplane, you know, from when you were six years old. Um, have that nice little origin story. Give us a background on how you got here, right? That's what I would open up with. How about yourself? Okay, um, on the technical side, um, I'm pretty much trying to see if you still have that, um, I would say, technical skills coming from um, your, I would say, your initial check right as an instructor. Um, so I would pretty much ask you a couple of regulation questions. So one, one of my favorite questions would be like, um, hey, uh, how many hours can you actually give uh, flight instructor for within a 24 hours period, right? So automatically, um, for you guys, you know, who know it, it's eight hours, right, max. But um, here, you know, in, in a training environment, you may end up spending 12, 12 hours on location, right? Because you may have a night flight, you know, you may have to take a lunch, et cetera. So you may end up being here, what we call like duty time, 12 hours, but um, you, you cannot give more than eight hours of flight instruction um, within 24 hours period. So that would be like my kickoff question pretty much, which is uh, more on the regulation side. Sure. Now, actually, I'll take a little detour here. Being a flight instructor is not a nine to five job. Mm. Not a nine to five job. Well, being a pilot is not a nine to five job, right? You got those 7 a.m. flights. You've got those cross countries, you know, in the summer that go like to midnight, uh, you got this four-hour gap in the middle of the day when it's raining. Um, you're flying maybe seven days a week. You know, we used to be open seven days a week, and I think we'll probably be opening up Sundays again this summer. Um, but I hope you're not working seven days straight. Take a take a take a day for yourself. Um, but you know, it's an erratic schedule. And if you're a Part 61 instructor, even worse, because probably your instructor, your students are evenings and weekends, weekend warriors, flying after work. You know, flying on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, so just, you know, be aware that is kind of the work environment and people burn out on that. But I also think it's training for the airlines because they're, you know, every holiday is your busy season, right? Yeah. You are always flying on weekends and you're going to miss birthdays and things like that. So welcome to the industry, right? Uh, all right. So, so we're interviewing, ask that. I like to give some, 
kind of uh, scenario type things. You have a student that's struggling. You have a student that's this. What do you do about that? You know, I want to hear you think through it. And my questions kind of relate back to that FOI, right? Like, what do you do with a person that's stuck? What do you do with a person that, um, you know, you, you can't you can't sign off because you don't think they're safe, right? Uh, and I want to hear good judgment. I want to hear, you know, teamwork. I want to hear... Um, you know, second opinions and, uh, you know, I got stuck here and my instructor did that. Those kind of things are good, right? How about yourself, Mario? Where else would you go? Um, yeah, so um, also um, kind of like not really FOIs, but um, I'm looking also on um, your ADMs um, to see, to put, I'll put you in a, a kind of realistic scenario. So um, one of my questions, you know, maybe you're doing an approach in IMC condition and you had a specific failure. Uh, I want to see exactly uh, how you would treat that failure, you know, maybe fine with your, with your student where, where you're an actual IMC, uh, what steps would you take, right? And based on that answer, I can say, hey, um, you know, this person is using their ADM skills. Uh, you know, sometimes um, we don't have to actually go by the script. Like I said, you know, you can say, hey, you know what, I'll do X, Y, Z since this is happening. So I'm looking pretty much for that ADM skills. Sure. as well yep aeronautical yeah. decision making for our our people that haven't made haven't jumped through the hoops yet of uh of ratings um uh, and i'm looking for attitude right so commercial pilots you learn about the five hazardous attitudes right anti-authority macho um uh, you know, those kind of things and just the way you present yourself you know can, can show that off right like uh you know if we talk about you know, we ask everyone to be drug and alcohol test, uh, drug, alcohol, and background search, right? So, um, you know, or, you know, those kind of things. If you're immediately, like, off-putting about that, well, you know, it's kind of indicating things like that because you're going to be drug tested the rest of your airline career, right? Um, so, all right. Interview, we're getting to the end of our hour, so I kind of want to give some time for questions. But your interview is successful. You get the call back. Congratulations. We're inviting you to a class. Depending on the flight school that you end up working for, it might be jump right in, get in the plane, go teach some students. That's like the Part 61 style. We did that for years, honestly, right? And then we kind of got religion maybe several years ago, right? And really kind of started standardizing more. And I think right now we're probably the most standardized we have been uh, with new hires, right? Can you just kind of explain what our standardization program is? This is what you're going to... come across at an academy like ourselves, your L3s, your AeroGuards, your ATPs? Sure, Eddie. Um, yeah, and I must uh, actually elaborate on that too. Um, yeah, I think we're doing a pretty good job now with our standardization process. Um, I know most schools, um, they have a lengthy program, uh, maybe up to a month. Um, we're trying to cram everything within a period of, uh, I would say two to three weeks on an average, yeah. Um, so, um, you know, the process is, is, is it's, it's straightforward. You have a week pretty much of uh, ground training, which we, we go over our SOPs, our policies, our, um, our practice uh, maneuver guides, because uh, we have our own ways pretty much that we do our maneuvers, which is governed as well, uh, covered by the FAA. We're not doing anything that is below the FAA standards. Actually, our standards, is it's above the FAA. So, um, you know, that's making you more prepared, or the student actually uh, more prepared for the check rides. Can I take um, a little detour there? Because I love to kind of harp on this, right? Sure. The FAA gives you minimums, minimums, right? 
a good flight school never teaches to the minimums and shouldn't expect the minimums from you. We're always going to shoot above the minimums. We're going to shoot for more, right? So there might be, you know, the ACS says you got to do it within 100 feet and this and that and the other, right? But we're going to tell you, okay, we want you to do it this way, at this setting, at this height, in this direction, right? And that's our standards. And that's what you're going to see at the airlines. So that's another reason why I'm, I'm not a big fan of hiring instructors that already have a ton of time because they come in with their way of doing things versus you know, learning and teaching it through our SOPs. Please continue. That's, that's right, yeah. So, um, yeah, with, with, you know, since we're using that, we, we pretty much, we had a very um, good pass rates now. Um, so, um, you know, we're, pretty, we're doing good, at, good on that right now. So, um, you know, guiding you guys through the process. So we have a week pretty much of ground training. Uh, we go through um, our ETA program, which is a talent program. Um, that was, which pretty much uh, works with our scheduling system uh, on our courses. Um, so we, we take you through that training, uh, we're, which will get you to the point that you can actually know how to schedule the student, uh, close an activity, um, look at your course minimums, uh, look at your, um, your lesson grading skills, et cetera. So uh, we, we pretty much take you through that um, for the week. Um, the second week, um, it's pretty much comprised of, we start you off with a sim session. Right, so uh, we put you into a our red bark sim. It's it's a full motion sim for you guys don't know. It's an AATD. Um, we put you in there. You have a three hour session of sim, which is divided into two 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 phases or two sessions. Uh, the first session is having you work with the steam gauges. Uh, for you guys who never um, had the experience with steam gauges, this is your opportunity to get familiar with the steam gauges. Then the second session will be with the G one thousand. So for you guys with the G1000 experience, yeah, here you go. It's more like a refresher. But um, in those sim sessions, we're pretty much looking for procedures. You know, the same, most people would complain and say, hey, it's it's a little too sensitive, but we're not really looking for perfection. We're looking for the procedures, right? And of course, we do have our own procedures in our um, procedures um, guide. Um, aside from the same, once you completed the sim session, we'll pretty much take you through the flight training um, sessions which is about uh, three flights in total um, from after those flights. Well, with those flights, you'll be assigned uh, training instructors, which uh, will take you through um, the process over those three flights. Uh, and then comes the final flight, which is, which is the final checkout, which will be um, conducted by myself. Um, this is, is considered like a, uh, like a check ride. So um, I'm expecting you to actually meet the minimum standards that we're looking for for our instructors here. So I'm gonna be there sitting, evaluating you on what you've covered pretty much for those two weeks, right? So I'm gonna be like, like a student, your first student sitting in the airplane and you're gonna pretty much just guide me through the maneuvers and procedures that I ask you to demonstrate. Um, and that's pretty much it. Um, you know, it, 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 it's not that hard. Uh, we, we're giving you all the materials and all the tools. So it's nothing that you, you would not know about. So um, yeah. that's Again. it. Again, you know, at this point, you are a CFII, past half a dozen check rides, 200, 300 hours. You know, you should know how to fly. We're just basically verifying that you know how to do stuff, and we're trying to show you how we would like you to do it, right? So we want to make sure that you have you reach that minimum, and ideally, going above it, right? Um, all ends well. You've got your, your, your checks done, ending with a 141 uh, check authorization, and you're on the line. Congratulations. You get students, right? Um, that's 
yeah, that's kind of the process. So that's how we hire. And uh, I would imagine like the way that a lot of other flight schools hire as well, especially on the, on the academy side. Um, yeah. So on our last few minutes here, because we're getting to the top of our hour, there are some questions. So if you have questions, feel free to put in the Q&A. If you're watching us on Facebook, you can put in the comments. I see those too. And uh, let's start with a question right here in the Q&A. Minimum hour requirements for hiring. Right. I don't think we actually have a minimum hour requirement. Right? No, we don't. Uh, yeah, because we've had some people finish uh, 141 programs at 190 hours. Our own program is 170 hours. Right. And then you add on the CFI. So theoretically, you could be a CFI with less than 200 hours. Right? That's true. What I see when I, when I see that, I see, wow. All right. Somebody hit it on the numbers. We got a top gun here. Right. Uh, it does mean that you probably have a little while, a little bit more to go until you're truly comfortable. Remember, I mentioned that 500 hours, most many people feel comfortable at 500 hours. But I don't really think we have a minimum hour requirement, just the, no, we don't. Uh, yeah. the, uh, the certificates. And of course, meeting standards. All right. We've got some questions on the Facebook side. Uh, military experience. I love, I love hiring veterans, right? Yeah. Veterans, I'll hire you all day long if you've got the requirements. Um, why? You've been through boot camp. You are a little bit more mature. Uh, also, you can call some students out on BS, right? Because you got that military kind of thing in you, right? I have this conversation all the time. Are students customers? Now, you can have a whole debate about this. And it's somewhere in the middle. Like, yes, they're paying for a service, but it's not a stake. You can't return it if you don't like the stake, right? And sometimes students are paying for discipline right for structure and discipline and sometimes you've got to be tough with students and so that's why i really appreciate um, our military veterans because they've been through it they've been forged through that military process and uh, and have those stories to tell also yeah today. sure um what else we have here what is the perfect number of total hours because you don't want somebody with a fresh cfi but don't want somebody with too many hours do you have a an ideal number of hours you look for I would say um, anyway between you don't want to exceed more than about five six hundred hours thereabout. You know, like we spoke about it earlier. I was gonna um, say six hundred hours or so. Yeah, yeah, I would say six, pretty much. Right now, that doesn't mean that no one will hire you. People will be super happy to have a six hundred hour pilot. You know, I uh, at this airport that we're at, North Perry Airport, we're the largest academy, and there's uh, eleven other flight schools at this airport. Eleven right? Most of them are small mom and pops, one or two airplanes. Um, I think maybe there's three that are 141 certified with, you know, maybe 10 airplanes. Uh, and I think many of them would be super happy to get a 600 hour CFI, you know, not even double I, right? Because that's less training they've got to give you, <laughs> right? And they know that you've already passed that 500 hour threshold. You're a competent, safe flight instructor. You know what we didn't touch on was MEIs, Right. Uh, right yeah. For, you know, uh, most instructors, I, I won't, let's see, most instructors will get their double I. Right. But only a fraction will get their MEIs. That is true. And MEIs are so important. So important. Right. Uh, Do you want me to touch on that a bit, Eddie? Um, like, MEI, yeah. OK, sure. So um, here at Waymond, um, you know, even if you come with your MEI um, certificate in your hand, uh, we wouldn't pretty much put you in, 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 in the multi-engine right away to give instruction. Right. We kind of want to see you, again, get comfortable with flight instruction, 
uh, and also have a certain amount of hours under your belt. Um, so usually I'm looking at around a thousand, maybe even twelve hundred before we actually put you in that Seneca, right? Um, so um, again, you'll find most instructors would probably leave to the airlines before even getting their multi, right? Yeah. But um, for those of you guys who are interested, of course, you know maybe you want some multi hours eventually. Hey, it's it's usually around like I said, a thousand, twelve hundred. Uh, we'll be able to check you out and put you into the multi-engine. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, I believe the insurance minimum is 700 hours. But realistically, I think most of our MEIs are about 1,000 hours when they, when we start standardizing them in, right? Because we're right. trusting you with more equipment. You know, it's, it's more dangerous is what it comes down to, right? There's more risk. So you need someone with great aeronautical decision-making, uh, an excellent instructor, a proven instructor. Um, so oftentimes... You know, as I think back, our best MEIs have been career instructors. They were that 10, 20% who were career instructors. Maybe they're on the back end of a corporate or airline career, and they were comfortable with, uh, you know, a bigger airplane and, uh, and all the procedures that go around it, right? So MEI is a great one. I usually see MEIs coming out of uh, our neighbor's Pelican. Um, ATP, I think, gets a lot of MEIs yeah. coming out, right? And I like to see that. Oh, yeah, because they do a lot of their program is multi. So they come out with a lot of multi-time. So if you're an ATP guy or gal uh, and you got your MEI, you got all those hours, you're much more likely to be one of those 700 to 1,000-hour MEIs, right? Uh, is there a preference in aircraft? Almost all your MEIs are teaching in Senecas or Seminoles, unless they're in the DA-42, the Twin Star. Right. right, that's a twin star. Yeah, we don't have a twin star. I would love to have a twin star, beautiful airplane. But we're teaching in Seneca. Seneca wants to be specific. Um, and actually, Mike Yost had a question immediately before that that most of his training has been in Piper aircraft, right? Uh, if we offer CFII training and the hurdles between Piper and Cessna, right? Um, if you've been flying all diamonds and you apply to a Cessna school or a Piper school, it's going to be a hurdle, no doubt, right? Um, I would suggest you look for air, for schools that fly mostly Piper fleets, right? It, it just makes common sense. Yes, we can cross-train you, but you're going to be behind the curve. It's going to take a little while to get up to speed. Uh, that being said, plenty of great instructors have done it. I don't want to dissuade anybody from doing that. If the job is there and they just fly a different make and model, you know, your commercial certificate says single-engine aircraft. It doesn't say Piper. It doesn't say Cessna. Yeah. That's <laughs> right? true. You feel the same way? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, we don't want to spend too much time, you know, trying, like I said, to try to get you up to speed to that. I mean, if if the, the candidate decide, you know, they want to take that um, expense off of their on their own, um, I would say aside, um, that's fine. But uh, again, we don't want to end up in a situation where we have to like train you now to we get a custom note to let's say our Seneca that we use here. Yeah. So that takes up a lot of time and resources. It does. It does. Well, we're kind of coming to the end of our hour, and we've had a lot of great questions and a really interesting conversation. So, uh, yeah, this is great. Keep your questions coming if you're watching us on the Facebook Live. Uh, that will that video will stay up immediately after this uh, recording is done. And, of course, you'll be able to find this on our podcast, Insight Aviation, which is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Look up Insight Aviation. And you'll find interviews with air traffic controllers, airline captains, airport managers, all sorts of interesting people with great insights into aviation. Really looking forward to keeping the, co the podcast coming and going this year as we uh, meet more of our people in-house, like Captain Mario right here, as well as our airline friends around the country. Uh, any parting words, any words of advice? 
Uh, well, um, it's a pleasure again being here, Eddie. Um, thanks for the opportunity. Um, I'm just feel free anytime. Um, I'm glad to come back here. Um, you know, but parting words again, um, like I said, um, you know, we're here and um, we're pretty much, um, I would say, one of the best in South Florida right now. Um, you know, feel free, send your resumes. Um, we're hiring. Again, don't don't be afraid. Um, you might be that one that stand out. And of course, um, we're we're happy to you know bring you on board with us. And um, you know, we have a great program going on here. So um, give us a shot. Yeah, if you're interested in working with us, careers at wayman.net. We hold resumes for six months. If now is the time, you know, that time might be two, three months from now. Who knows? So send resumes, careers at wayman.net. Visit us on all the social media at Wayman Aviation, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. And of course, follow the, sub, the podcast, like and subscribe. Uh, so for all of you out there listening, remember, go ahead and be the captain. This series is brought to you by Wayman Aviation Academy. Learn to fly with a safe, reliable, professional academy located between Miami and Fort Lauderdale in sunny South Florida, USA. Enjoy the training and cosmopolitan life with Wayman's 42 aircraft, six airline partners, and two bases to help you be the captain.